God's word says that after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and their, their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the day that we have, the day you've blessed us with, another day that we can love, honor, and, and serve you. Lord, I pray that we'll, we'll see through your word tonight, through your word as they're watching it on, on the internet or on Sunday morning, that, that it will go forth with power, that you will say exactly what you want said through me. So we thank you and praise you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to jump right into our outline. So if you have your bulletins, and you're gonna, there's only three points, and, but you can fill in some other things between them. All right. Point number one is, I hate you. Okay? You'll understand why in a minute. There are some professions that are hard to love, right? They may be lovely parking attendants, parking wardens, and, and debt collectors who are wonderful human beings, but it, they'll have an uphill struggle to convince you of that, to try to prove those good points to you. MSNBC, they, they did a poll, online poll, of the 10 most hated jobs in the country. And I want to share those with you to give you a little foreground, a foretaste of what we're going to be talking about tonight. So I'm going to start with number 10, which is a bouncer. Okay? Bouncer is the number 10 most hated job. Let me tell you about a bouncer. I don't know anything about him. I've never been to an establishment that required a bouncer, and so I'm pretty naive about that, so we're going to skip that one. Okay? The next hated job is close to home. A mechanic. Number nine is a mechanic. For many people, a trip to the mechanic is, is scary because they don't know much about cars. I don't know much about cars. And so when I go to a mechanic, he could tell me that I have to replace the engine and, and, and that I'm going to... I went in for an oil change, but I come out with a new engine. That's the, the fear of a lot of people. They go in with fear and trepidation because they're not sure what's going to happen. The mechanic is the number nine. Okay? Number eight is a car salesperson. A car salesperson. That, that there's, there's been this stereotype ever since cars went on the market. It's been around since those days that whether you're buying a new or a used vehicle, nothing is more annoying than having a money-starved salesperson trying to sell you even a rust on wheels. So car salesperson is number eight. Number nine 
Or number seven, I should say, we're going backwards, is the paparazzi. I know us normal people, we don't, we don't get bombarded by the paparazzi, but those that are, and we get annoyed sometimes because, and I have a hard time feeling sorry for those that are, that are famous or wealthy because they're flaunting their money, their wealth, their fame, but sometimes it would be nice if they could go from their car to a restaurant or at home without cameras flashing in their faces and blinding them. Number seven. Number six, we have this struggle up at March Street on Mondays and Tuesdays is the parking warden. The lady comes around, and, and she's probably a nice lady, but not if you're parking on the wrong side of the street, all right? And they, especially in a town where um, it's hard to find a parking place, downtown Easton, if you want to come to the restaurants or anything, to try and find a legal place to park is difficult. Can I park here? How much money do I need to put in the meter? And all these things. And then after you're done with whatever you're doing, you walk back to your car thinking, did I put enough money in there? Am I going to have a ticket on my window when I get back? Number six, hated the parking person. Okay? Number five, which I agree with, the dentist is the number fifth hated position. You know, who loves going to the dentist? Oh, they're sitting side by side. It's my wife and, uh, and, and uh, yeah. I don't like going to the dentist. When they scrape my teeth, it hurts. And they dig into your gums and all that. But my wife loves, she can't wait to go to the dentist. She loves our dentist. The hygienist, all that. I don't understand it, but that's the fifth worst job, hated-wise, in, in the U.S. Number four, sorry, Matthew. <laughs> lawyers. And lawyers, in the 16th century, Shakespeare, in one of his characters, he famously said, let's kill all the lawyers. And it's been more than 400 years, and they really haven't changed their position as far as being hated. Now... There are undoubtedly lawyers of integrity and, and, and honesty, but there are so many of them that are just amoral, they're unethical and, and uh, self-serving. A friend of mine just got a ticket the other day, and before he came home, he had letters from lawyers to defend him in his ticket. I thought, how'd they get that information? It's in the paper, I guess. All right? Number three. It's not the end yet. Politicians. They are not appreciated very much. So we have a lot of politicians, and they come in various uh, shapes and sizes. But one thing that, it, that we need to remember is that even the most noble, honest politicians in the world and in, in our country are often brought under deep scrutiny, and, and they find themselves the brunt of a lot of criticism, right? Number two. Debt collectors. Debt collectors. And the thing you have to remember, the debt collector is not the one who's in debt. Okay? The debt collector, they're not the one who's in debt, and they're definitely the last person you want to see when you come on hard times or hear from. Debt collectors. To get that call from them can fill you with a mixture of anxiety, hatred, and fear. Right? 
when you get that call from a, a tax collector or a debt collector. Okay, what do you think number one is? No, that was debt collector, tax collector, same thing. What do you think number one is? Telemarketers. Oh, everybody, oh yeah, oh yeah. I don't even know how they get my number. It's not published number, but they just, I think the computer randomly just selects numbers and they ring. But the telemarketer, even if it's something that they're trying to sell that's legitimate, or they're trying to take advantage of a senior citizen or some vulnerable person, it's, there's really never a good time to get the call from them, right? It's usually when you're in the middle of something. In fact, telemarketing is so annoying that it has become illegal in certain places. So that, that's... And this apparent soulless person on the other end of, of the phone is, is inflicting pain on us as they are reading script that's not even meant for humans to listen to. I mean, it doesn't even make sense sometimes. The things that they say, uh, I'm not even going to go that way. All right. Those are the 10 most hated jobs according to MSN. I looked at another poll, and I thought this was interesting, that the top five most hated positions was a politician, a lawyer, a real estate agent, a banker, and a police officer. And as I thought about that, I said, we have all of those in our church. And I thought, the, they don't fit that criteria as, I love these people. And they're good people, people of integrity that love and honor and serve the Lord. So the odds that, uh, that are on their other side, on the disfavor side, are not here in this church, praise the Lord. All right, in Bible times, the tax collector was the most hated job that there was out there. So we want to ask the question, why then, why does the Bible speak so negatively about tax collectors? There's a few things I wanted to bring out, why they speak negatively about tax collectors. In every culture, in every part of history, from tax collectors of ancient Israel to the IRS agents today, the tax man receives... Um, has received more than his share of scorn and contempt. The New Testament reveals that the occupation of tax collector or politician, it mentions a lot of times, was scorned by almost everybody in the Bible days. The Pharisees, they communicated their disdain for tax collectors in this confrontation that we just read about with Jesus and that many tax collectors, he was eating with many tax collectors and sinners. So when the Pharisees noticed this, that here's this religious leader eating with all these sinners and tax collectors, he asked the disciples, why does he eat with the tax collectors and sinners? Well, what is a sinner according to the Pharisees? But it's a Jew who did not follow, does not follow the law, plus the Pharisees' own rules that they make up. And a tax collector was considered a traitor to the Jewish people and their religion. But Jesus even used tax collectors in a lot of his, his stories. He, he used this opinion of the tax collectors in an illustration in the final stages of church discipline, if you look in Matthew 18, that he says that Jesus said to treat the excommunicated person, he says to treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. 
So even Jesus understood how hated this job was and that they considered them an outsider and someone who needed to be evangelized. So somebody that's excommunicated from the church is considered that. There's a few reasons why there was such a low view of of tax collectors in the New Testament. The first thing was that no one likes to pay more money than than they're supposed to to the government, especially when that government is oppressive and, as, and that, that the, like the Romans were, and that those who collected taxes for such a government received the brunt of their displeasure. They, were, they despised them. Secondly, the tax collectors in the Bible were Jews who were working for those hated Romans. It was Jewish people. They were seen, seen as turncoats or traitors to their own country. Rather than fighting the Roman oppressors, the publicans or the tax collectors were helping them and filling their own pockets in the meantime. Thirdly, it was commonly known that tax collectors cheated people. They could and would most of the time collect more than required and keep the extra for themselves. And everyone understood that that's how it worked. And the tax collector Zacchaeus, remember his story? What he did? In his confession to the Lord, he talked about that dishonesty in Luke chapter 19. Lastly, fourthly, because they skimmed off the top, the tax collectors were well-to-do, very wealthy. This further separated them from the lower class who just begrudged the fact that they were had to... to to fill the pockets of these rich, rich people and their, their lavish lifestyle. The tax collectors, ostracized from society, they formed their own cliques. They're the only people that liked each other. They were the only people that liked them, were fellow tax collectors, and that further ostracized them from society. So, given the low esteem that people had for tax collectors, it's noteworthy to see that Jesus spent so much time with them. As you look in in Mark, it's on the screen, Mark chapter 2, verse 15, it says, and he reclined at table in his house, talking about Matthew, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. They liked him. Who is this guy? One thing as I was studying the, this week and last week um, for this that I found out, I thought this is, this, is, this is interesting. If you wanted to be the position of a tax collector, you had to bid on this job. You had to bid. And it was always the wealthy who bid on it because you would get this position and you would pay the government ahead of time for the taxes for your community. That was the responsibility. You would go ahead and pay the government. They had their census. They knew how much money was owed by the people, and they would collect that money ahead of time. So that was incentive for you to do your job to get your money back plus. That's how that job worked. And if they kept a little extra, if they got extra, well, that was to their benefit. That's how they made their money, by charging extra for their tax bill. Well, so here we have Matthew, or Levi, being called by Jesus to follow him. 
So let's look at it. Point number two is I forgive and heal you. I forgive and heal you. Let's try and speculate a little bit, you know, looking at the scriptures and stuff and why Matthew would choose to, to leave everything and follow, follow after Jesus, okay? Point number one is that, that he was rich and getting richer. This is just what it was. They just kept getting more and more money into their coffers and they would charge more and get more money and more money as he would cheat the people while collecting the taxes. But as you know, money does not bring happiness. Money does not bring contentment. It just brings on more greed, a little bit more, a little bit more. Point number two is, what was he accomplishing? What was he accomplishing for the betterment of the people besides selfish desires? It was a very lonely and thankless job. He had no friends except other tax collectors who were friends because he had money. It's a very lonely job. Third point is everyone hated him. The fact that everyone hated him had to play havoc on his psyche. If you know that someone hates you, how does that make you? You know that everyone hates you. That's got to play in your heart and in your head. Well, lastly, last point is he must have seen and heard about all about this man, Jesus. What he was doing in the region and was drawn to him. God was already, see, he, God was already planting that seed in him because he had heard about all these miracles and the good things that Jesus was doing. So God planted that seed ahead of time. So when Jesus said, follow me, he jumped up at the chance to experience love, acceptance, forgiveness that can only be found in following our Savior. Amen? Here was someone who loved and accepted him just the way he was. And that's the same for us. That's the same for us if if you've been searching for true contentment and fulfillment in life, but you've been looking in the world to bring, the, to bring that satisfaction and wealth and riches and, and fame, it's not going to last. It does not satisfy the way we want. It's only in following Christ and receiving his forgiveness for all that he's done, for all that we've done, that he does that for us. In this story that we just read in, Math, in Luke chapter 5, this was right, the story right before that is Jesus had healed the paralytic that they let down through the roof of the house. And what did Jesus say in verse, in verse 20? Look in your text there. It says, And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. He saw their faith, and he told them his sins are forgiven. So when people come to Jesus by faith, he forgives. He forgives no matter what you've done. Don't you want, if you're here and you don't know the Lord yet as Savior, don't you want to experience something like that? That you can have 
experience that forgiveness and, and, and to feel the love of our Savior in your life? In, in Matthew chapter 11, in verses 28 to 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's who Christ does. That's what Christ does. It's what he did for us. I think I would be failing you if I didn't talk about Jesus' response to the Pharisees in our text. When he was accused of eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, what did Jesus say in verse 31 and 32? He said, and Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so as we look, some people, even yourself maybe, may feel that you are beyond God's forgiveness. You have done too many bad things that God cannot forgive you. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell that the devil wants you to think, and he uses it to discourage us into not coming to Christ, to not following after him. I know there's, there's people that have felt that way, but when they turn to Christ, what a difference that makes. I want you to watch this short video about Billy Sunday and what, what happened in his life. 27 years ago, I walked down a street in Chicago in company with some ball players who were famous in this world. Some of them are dead now. And we went into a saloon. It was Sunday afternoon and we got tanked up and then went and sat down on a corner. I never go by that street without thanking God for saving me. It was a vacant lot at that time. We sat down on a curbing. Across the street, a company of men and women were playing on instruments, horns, flutes, and slide trombones. And the others were singing the gospel hymns that I used to hear my mother sing back in the log cabin in Iowa and back in the old church where I used to go to Sunday school. And God painted on the canvas of my recollection and memory a vivid picture of the scenes of other days and other faces. Many have long since turned to dust. I sobbed and sobbed, and a young man stepped out and said, We're going down to the Pacific Garden Mission. Won't you come down to the mission? I am sure you will enjoy it. You can hear drunkards tell how they've been saved, and girls tell how they've been saved from the red light district. I arose and said to the boys, I'm through. I'm going to Jesus Christ. We've come to the parting of the ways. And I turned my back on them. Some of them laughed and some of them mocked me. One of them gave me encouragement. Others never said a word. This life of, of, of Billy Sunday, you know his story. Many of you do. How that he was a baseball player filled with fame, filled with pride. And that one day... As he, in a drunken stupor, he came to Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago and, and gave his life to the Lord 
and never look back. You get a chance, this, to read the life of, of Billy Sunday would, would be very encouraging, I hope. So I, I, I ask you today to please, if you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, to please do that today. Because we don't know when our last day on this earth is going to be. We have no idea. But I don't want you to leave this earth without knowing the peace of God in your life. The joys of, of eternal blessings with the Lord. So these Pharisees saw tax collectors as enemies to be shunned. And Jesus saw them, though, on the other hand, the, tax, the, the Pharisees saw them to be shunned, but Jesus, on the other hand, saw them as spiritually sick and needed to be healed. The Pharisees could only offer a list of rules for them to follow, where Jesus offered forgiveness of sins and the hope of a new life. That's what he had to offer for Matthew. No wonder the publicans and the tax collectors liked to spend time with Jesus. As it says in Luke 15, verse 1, it says, Now, ta now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to hear him. They were, all, they were all coming around because they saw this message of hope, forgiveness, and healing. Tax collectors like Matthew were forgiven and transformed by the gospel. And what was the result? They left everything to follow the Lord. Matthew was one of the tax collectors that Jesus forgave, and he lavished his mercy and grace upon him. When called by Jesus, he immediately left his tax collection booth and followed him, followed the Lord. In Matthew 9.9, a text that goes along with this, it says, And Jesus passed by from there and saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. He left behind the source of his riches. He left behind the cozy lifestyle and the security of his position and the comforts that he could experience. Instead, he chose traveling, hardships, and eventually martyrdom. He left his old life for a new life with Jesus. Which brings me to my next, the name Levi and Matthew. You know, we know that it's the same person because both, the texts all mention both names. We know that Levi and Matthew are the same person according to the reference in Matthew and the one we read, and, and they just mention the same things. Now, why would Levi change his name? This I thought was very interesting. When Levi means joined or attached, it was, a name, it was the name of Jacob and Leah's third son and, and one of the 12 tribes of Israel. It was a common name back then. So what was wrong with it? On the other hand, Matthew means gift of God. So what was Levi joined to or attached to? His money, his power, the lies and corruption, that's what he was attached to. His name has meaning, and that's what, for him, that's what that meant. So by changing his name from Levi to Matthew, he was taking on a whole new focus, new goal, and, and a new identity for himself. And this is exciting. I see the name change as a promotion for him. 
the old Levi, he left, detached himself from the money and the power, and he received the gift of God. Now, Matthew was not the gift of God. Sorry, Matthews, who are in this congregation. You are not the gift of God, but Christ is the gift of God to Matthew. That's what he was experiencing. He was experiencing that gift that he was willing to, that Jesus was so willing to give him. So point number three then, in, in closing here, I, I follow you is, is the, the word in there. I follow you. In verse 27, when Jesus said, follow me, the text says that Matthew got up and he followed him. What does following Christ mean? It doesn't mean that, that Matthew was just sitting around waiting for Jesus to stroll off somewhere and that he was just going to go along with him for the walk. No. It meant that he was watching where Jesus was going. He was watching what Jesus was doing. He was listening to what Jesus was saying, and he began to become an imitator of Christ. He believed what he was teaching and in turn began teaching it himself to other people. He was becoming an imitator, being like Christ. As Pastor Tim has told us many times how that they would become, the priests would follow, the younger ones would follow the older ones and they would become like that priest, that Levi, that church leader. When the Bible talks about following something, this is, this is important for you to get. When the Bible talks about following something, it implies that that something becomes an integral part of us and we do nothing else other than what we are following after. In other words, when we say we are, are following Jesus, we will only do what he asks us to do. We begin to follow our, our Savior wholeheartedly. We become Christ's followers. We follow hard after him. And where he is leading us or taking us individually or collectively as a church, we will do that with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now we see Matthew's life that started out. He started out immediately after he, he followed, he's, he became a Christian. He followed after God, followed Jesus. Right away, he started doing the work of the Lord. So what does he do? In our text, it says it. In verse 29, he says, And Levi made a great feast in his house, and there, were, there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. So what was the purpose of that? Why would he do that? It's very simple. He wanted to let his friends know of the decision that he had just made. He couldn't just, he couldn't just get up and leave without showing his friends and family members what had happened to him and allow them that same opportunity to experience Christ's forgiveness. Right away, he started doing the work of the Lord. So think about that for a moment. Think about your own life for a minute. When you first came to, when you first came to Christ... Who did you tell about your salvation? What did you do to prove that, that you were a follower of Christ? Did you step up and, 
and be bold with your newfound faith? Or did you begin to fear man right away and shy away from sharing anything? I was reading in 1 Thessalonians last week, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and it talks about the boldness of Paul. And I noticed these three words that just jumped off the page to me. He says in, in verse 1 and 2, he says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Those three little words, in our God mean so much because it's just not, they just didn't have boldness. A lot of people can have boldness. To be a telemarketer, to be a salesman, you have to have boldness to be able to approach people and, and sell your product convincingly. That's not the boldness we're talking about. It's boldness in our God. They had that kind of boldness. That's the kind of boldness that I want. That's the kind of boldness that we should all desire. That no matter what, or no matter who's around us, that we're not going to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ because that is the power of God unto salvation. Amen? Matthew followed Jesus, and it took him many places in that region of the world. We also are to follow Jesus wherever he takes us. It's a simple pattern. We watch what they did, and we do the same thing, following after Jesus wherever he asks us to go. So well, how did Matthew die? commentary that I was looking at says that, that Matthew preached in Ethiopia, Judah, Macedonia, Syria, and Partha, which is northern part of Iran. There are two versions of his death, the first being that, that he died of natural causes, but the second one says that it, he angered the local king who had him nailed to a bed, covered his whole body with paper, brimstone, oil, asphalt, and bushwood, and set him on fire. That's the most common one. So, if you're looking for a life of ease and comfort, you're not going to find it in, in following hard after Christ. Satan likes it when you come to church, read your Bible, and pray, but as long as you don't obey his word, he's happy. You can go through all the formalities, all the rituals, but if you're not following hard after him, he'll leave you alone. If you're not speaking the truth in love, he'll leave you alone. So if you're living a contented, satisfied life, I begin to question, what are you doing wrong? That's not God's blessing, because what God's blessing is, is that he says, I'm going to suffer for your namesake. I am willing to do whatever you want me to do. That's what Matthew said. I am going to go to wherever you want me to go. I'm going to say what you want me to say. And he, and he did that. So what did Jesus tell his followers? In Matthew chapter 8, verses 19 to 22, and a scribe came up and said to them, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples came and said to him, Lord, 
Let me go first bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Those are some strong words. But I want to close with, with two questions. Two tough questions. Number one is, are you truly born again? Are you going through the motions? Do you and other people around you see the evidence of that salvation? Are you truly born again? What difference does God make in your life? And secondly, am I willing to follow after Jesus wherever that may be, wherever he may lead? Whatever it is, God, I am willing to do that. If you answered no to either one of those, I'd love to talk to you, stay after the service or meet with your campus pastor or whatever, and, and, and would be willing to sit down and talk to you what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ and what that looks like. Man, there's nothing greater in life than to realize that I'm in the center of God's will, that nothing that happens to me is apart from his will in my life. So I can rejoice in that. Let's pray together.